0: Hello, how are you doing? I hope it's been a good day for you. And in case it has not, <laughs> it has not been a good day for you, we're going to talk about um, behavior, and especially de-escalating it. Okay, and I get to tell you some stories that will make you feel much better about yourself. <laughs> because I had an epic fail this morning, and I um, once I realized it, then I went back and made it better. But um, mom's not always right. <laughs> okay, so let's we have some slides here that we'll we'll use as talking points. The first one here is a, a National uh, Institute of Health study. I'll provide the link to the actual mind shift article in the, the text of the, the post here for you. You can read that on your own time. I found it to be filled with some really good ideas. The link is several years old, but I don't think it's bad. <laughs> I don't think it's gone bad. <laughs> I think it's still very valid um, as a, on ideas to just... Uh, if Let's say the student is um, mad, right? Or just nervous or worried, or they just let something slip, which is what happened this morning to me. And I interpreted it incorrectly. All right. So, um, we got to ask enough questions, but let's just say that you're, you're faced with, or you have some friends who are faced with, uh, really violent kiddos, um, which my child was in the earlier years. Um, he would uh, kind of do a running toward the door, um, with the glass panel, and then he would just bang into it with his hands. We um, we cracked the glass. Uh, I kept telling him that, you know, um, you're going to cut your hands and it is going to really hurt and we're going to have blood all over the house, um, w- w- which really made no dent. Um, I think it was a combination of things why he didn't totally put a hole through the glass. Um, it was more in those really early years of trying to regulate his behavior when his frustration was higher. W- w- throughout all of these years, so we've been in the spectrum now, 11, 12 years. We've been constantly working on the immune system, on methylation, on detoxing, on uh, pruning bad neural pathways, replacing them with saner, <laughs> more age-appropriate, more this is what society is going to expect out of you, dude, um, neural pathways and habits. Um, so it's good. It, it, it moves your kid in the right direction. Um, so, um, Anyway, um, this this article here will give you some ideas whether, so I have one child in the early days, my older one, where anxiety is absolutely a, a big factor with zero behaviors, just anxiety. And then with uh, my younger one, there's no language to talk with him. Well, we get a little bit more now, but today the lesson was if, if I say something and it's not true, then you, you need to self-advocate and you need to say, no, mom, I did not throw the guitar onto the tile floor and made a huge big noise. You couldn't see it, but it just fell, which I didn't realize until I was in the shower later on and we had been through planking and some Taekwondo without, some sparring without padding and not a good, um, it was absolutely an escalation and oh, it was a mess. And then I, later on in, in thinking about it, it was like, wait a minute, you didn't see Gail. You just made the assumption because why, you got mad? you got to not do that, and you need to ask more questions. I later revisited with him on that, and I said, listen, I apologize, you know, like profusely three or four times. Um, Practically codependent. (laughs) And and then later on today, he actually did a better job of self-advocating when he had to correct whatever it was that I said. So good, right? Our kids need to learn how to say, no, that's not what happened. Please let me tell you what did. Uh, Especially if they're fighting with expressive language. Okay, and then maybe they're not processing quite as fast as we are, right? Because if we get on a tear and we're going lickety split with all of our words and our emotions, we might just, you know, yeah, sure, right, okay, uh huh, and zip past them and bulldoze them and not even really understand stop and go back and see what it is and he gave me an awesome clue because it was a school assignment on resilience and the topic he eventually wanted to try to do his version of an essay on was um, I really miss my dad my dad's in heaven I really miss him and then the next thing I know he's gone to get the guitar and he self-composed this little you know you know. have you seen the movie um, Coco? Great pixel movie where it talks about the afterlife mm-hmm. from a Hispanic mm-hmm. culture standpoint, and 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 the the crossing over and the crossing back on the bridge, and there's a really sweet little theme song in it. He was sitting there singing it, um, slightly out of key, singing it about his dad, and. And then there was other things that piled up. So he's doing his version of trying to process grief and trauma and then mom misinterprets it and then we got a big old fat escalation. So tonight I picked this because I got egg all over my face, all over my face. And I just wanted to kind of share that as a teaching moment, some ideas for you. And of course you'll, you'll like it because you'll feel better about yourself. (laughs) Okay. um, So let's, there's an article from MindShift. I'll put a link there for you. Let's click and go forward. All right, so why might our kiddos be um, choosing uh, to escalate their behavior? And then is it sensory overload? Is it mom's misinterpretation? Is it grief and trauma they're trying to process? Is it something, is it a -a whack-a-mole kind of thing, you know? That it's one thing and we're interpreting it as a different way because we have a preconceived notion or a bias or our bucket of sensory behavior response is code red down one half of an inch from the top and as soon as they do something and we interpret it incorrectly and then we blow our fuse and then I'm the cause of my of of this morning's discipline problems and then i made i i said he had to plank we were planking and then you see i I, I kind of used my hand and I kind of popped his bottom to go back down so he's flat. And then that made that, that last little bit of physical uh, shoving on my part, which I know better. I We've trained for years. Zero tolerance for whacking back because kids get bigger and stronger. I shouldn't have done it, but I just was too far gone Um and then he popped up mad as a and started flailing away and then I'm doing my version of sparring trying to calm him down and then I grab him and then I hold him and I kind of grab his arms and put them around my neck and I give him a big body hug and I say I'm sorry. Let's let's start over. Let's try again. And 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 he quickly you know de-escalated because he didn't want to be angry. He just was tired of me bullying him, picking on him when it wasn't right, wasn't fair. And it reminded me of something I had done with my older child long ago when, um, when Saxton would be sad about something. And I knew from the, uh, the training I've had in grief and trauma and even accelerated that training in the years since then. But I, I knew I had to confirm and affirm my child. So I said, well, would you like a hug? Which I do basically if, if I'm in an, in an appropriate situation with any kid that I'm working with or in the area of, and I'll say, if I can tell that they're sad, they're crying, they're just, they're, they're, they're sad, then I'll ask them, would you like a hug? You know, about half the time I get a yes, and half the time I get a no. So when I would do that with my child, I would um, offer, would you like a hug? And then Saxon would say yes. And then I'd wrap my arms around him and I'd hold. And then I, and then pretty soon he's starting to wiggle, right? And he's trying to get loose. And I start to laugh. And then and then he starts to laugh. And I said, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not letting go until you're not sad anymore. So we stand, kind of stand there. It's almost like wrestling, standing up. And I'm trying to make sure that my whatever comes out of my mouth is humorous, silly, funny. And so pretty soon it's turning into a laughing match. Let me go. Come on. I'm fine. I'm not sad anymore. I'm not sad anymore. Uh, as long as they're laughing, then I'll let go. And um, then it works out. It's, it's been actually a really good way to do that. And I pulled that on John, use that with John too. So um, anything to, to change um, anger into humor um, that helps them feel um, felt, Uh, relaxed, and then of course the sensory input, right? Even if they're, like tonight we were watching a movie. Um, If you've ever watched the Nicolas Cage series of uh, National Treasure, there's some, you know, high drama pieces and some scary stuff. But we were sitting on the couch and um, he did not want me sitting next to him, did not want me giving him input. And I said, too bad. I've trained him that, you know, one day I hope that he will want to have a family, a relationship, someone giving him hugs. So I'm forcing him to. I've written a lot of blog posts about that. You might enjoy those from time to time. So um, anyway, I, I flop on top of him or that's another great way to de- de-escalate a, a behavior, um, angry, pushing and shoving kind of thing is since I'm three times the size, well, maybe twice the size. Uh, I'll just like flop on top of him or another thing I'll on the couch and it but we're doing it in a laughing way. No one's trying to win. It's just here goes mom, flop. Another way I'll do it is I'll stand near the couch on by the end and I'll say come here, I want to give you a hug and then I'll wrap my arms around him and then I fall backwards and he's falling with me so we're falling toward my back and then we land on the couch. Anyway, it's something that you can develop just a safe landing zone with your kids. And uh, he knows what's coming, and he always goes for the game. We just make it something that's laughing, and but that's that that firm sensory input is definitely something that meets a need that they have. Kind of helps them feel, you know, protected, ensconced. Um, bleeds off the extra sensory craziness that's going on. So um, anyway, uh, and hugs are always great. But uh, as I knew this morning, I was I made a mistake with it trying to doing anything with. A, um, that w- it would make me mad, right? If someone t- was trying to kind of like pop me, although he does do that to the dog it, t- with too much pressure, and I say, "Hey, John, come here," and then I'll sh- I'll sh- I'll do him the soft way. This is what the dogs. This is what Spike wants. Gentle touches, and then I'll say, "Okay, you know what it feels like to him." And so then I'll, I'll model that, but I don't model it back to him all the time. It's more random following the, uh, the, um, the randomness of like BF Skinner's chicken, chicken plucking for the corn thing. They say that the most um, uh, direct, uh, mo- the most uh, impactful message is delivered when it's random, when it's not expected, random and a variety of intensities. Uh, it's the randomness that catches people's attention. So, anyway, just something to share if uh, if that is useful to you all. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. So let's talk a bit about neural pathways. I know I've I've mentioned and I've showed you this slide before, depending on if you've seen uh, some of the other podcasts. Um, so I've I've, driven, I've drawn these two pictures, and let's look at it not as a neurotypical child, um, but let's um, let's look at it if someone's uh, made. Uh, they're in the process of trying to to erase bad behaviors All right you can i could tell two stories with this one slide so let's talk instead about a like a, a child like my younger boy who's got maybe 47 different perhaps uh, responses to any particular <laughs> situation uh 47 ways to walk down the hallway at church you know oh that's just great john um And what we've worked on then is since he didn't naturally prune that himself at age two, and then as a teenager, we have to work on reducing his decision paths, the neurotransmitters. So instead of, you know, they're flipping a coin and, okay, let's try number 38 today. um, I I want to reduce all the outliers and I want him to build consistent pathways. And that means that we need to start today. So when you hear early intervention, early means today does not mean that you should feel guilty about all of the yesterdays, that you did not intervene. Uh, you just let slide by or you were unaware. So don't get hung up in guilt because that shoulda, coulda, woulda is never going to help you. But just realize that when we say early intervention, we mean start today. Don't delay until tomorrow. Be consistent today. In this example, he's walking down the hallway at church and it's inappropriate. So I will stop or let's say we're at Target, or let's say we're out of the grocery store, wherever we are, I will stop moving. Now, we've I've trained him for this. So, and it's kind of like a backward chaining or a boomerang kind of a training. I'll stop. And I don't get all mad and huffy and throw a hissy and have everybody, all the adults looking at me. I've learned not to do that. <laughs> Instead, I'll just stand there and smile. And if anybody looks at me, any of the adults in the area, like they're going to give me a... Uh, uh, scolding an eye scolding for me for my child's misbehavior I'll just smile at them and I'll say yeah we're working on social skills and almost every time they go oh good yeah right awesome okay And I I just stand there with a smile and John will eventually turn around and look at me and he'll know this this is like version 483 of the same game, which is let's see if if mom loves me enough to keep uh, her boundaries consistent for me, for my behavior. He'll eventually come back. That's why I say boomerang. And then he'll look at me and I'll look at him and I don't even need to say it, but I do if he doesn't. This is how we do it, the right way. Do it the right way. Do it the right way, this way, every time. He's now starting to say, Mom, I do want to do it the right way. I want to go easy way. I want to. I don't want to do hard way. And I realize that might be a little bit juvenile for a 13-year-old, but we're not 13 years old in all ways. He got 13 birthday candles. but That does not mean that every one of his responses is 13 years old. Um, So the top uh, neural pathway is what you want to have something where it's a little bit of variance. That's okay. It doesn't have to be exactly a robot, right? We're not trying to ABA our kids into automatron stuff. But, ooh, look at the variance on that one on the bottom. Yikes. You're going to have all kinds of I'll have a case of the nerves if if I don't know if, if there's that much variation in anything that he ever does. So what we want to do is help our kids build socially acceptable neural pathways. So that when they go out or they go to, like for example, when he's socializing with kids, and he, his his the the range of what he might say or do is a wider range than what the other kids will say or do, and so therefore he looks eccentric or odd or weird. And um, I'm trying to help him realize, and I tell him this. I said, if you want the little girls to pay attention to you, to um, to not be afraid of you, to include you, then you need to. Use a make your voice sound like a song or he can't if he's little with little girls, he's got to act in a different way than if he's with a pack of boys. Right. Because boys will have more tolerance and it's it's kind of a hard thing for social emotional teaching for him, Um, but he does feel the rebuff. If somebody ignores him or avoids him, and then I can see him stretching to try to find some other way to feel included or to get attention—you know, attention-seeking behavior—and he's going to pick another one of those neural pathways that's not appropriate, and it's, he's going to just add yet another odd behavior to it. What he's really trying to do is match the peers, but um, he's—we're just—we got different age ranges, you know. He's still in a developmental delay pile of neural pathways. Anyway, it's the work in process, isn't it? I bet you have some of this at your house too. So anyway, that's kind of a belaboring of the point. Just wanted to share that with you as a visual reminder of there's always gonna we hope there's always going to be a tomorrow for our kids with social uh, consequences and that if he will tomorrow be more appropriate when he's talking to you know he's he's got a little friend who rebuffs him a lot. And then he's got an older friend that's hanging with us right now that's a lot more tolerant. She's got little brothers. So I'm always happy when he has playmates that's got younger brothers and sisters. So it's they're like, yes, yeah, you're fine, whatever. <laughs> Instead of being shocked and scared and whatever. So you got to sometimes pick your playmates appropriately, right? Okay, let's go on to the next slide. Now these next three are borrowed from a wonderful colleague of mine, Dr. Crystal Collier. She has uh, now resumed her practice as a um, a PhD, LPC. You see her card there. Um, She formerly was with the Council on Recovery. She now has her own practice. Search for her as Crystal Collier. Uh, And this particular um, uh, presentation that she did was on addiction. And I said, hey, these three slides, they actually fit in this world of learning differences as far as addiction to why we need to intervene on stemming, not on meth-a- uh, methyl, 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 whatever that is, that the drug, meth. <laughs> um, I never watch Breaking Bad, so I don't know the name of that. I just know meth or cocaine. or So she's using neurotypical drug addictions of sex, um, food, um, meth, cocaine. And I'm, when I'm going, I've heard it several times, and I'm thinking, dang, that's stemming. <laughs> and why we got to we just changed the kids, right? And so we got a different type of behavior, but it's got the same effect and it's got the same intervention. So she's very kind to let me have these slides. And I also include um, her research and her contact information. Okay. So she would say this differently, but I'm saying, consider this as talking about when you see addiction, if we don't intervene on our kids and we let them stem. Now, my son, John, his stem of choice right now is a monotone hum, like, mm, mm. he does not do it all the time. It seems to be (laughs) the best thing he can can do when he sees me. It's almost like I like to do it to manipulate my mom. But I also see and hear of him doing it when he's um, either really tired or overwhelmed um, or... uh, it's usually something like that. And so I try, instead of saying, uh, why, uh, instead of stop it or don't stem, I'll say instead, I'll ask instead, right? I'm supposed to ask more questions. John, why are you stemming? Or why are you humming? Or do you realize you're stemming? Because the, the, the neural pathway for a loud monotone hum, random, monotone hum is not going to have a good outcome when you get to be junior high school, high school, adults. It may not be quite so unacceptable when you're a young child, but, man, if, if, I, if I let it go on heated, then, you know, we got a big old fat, thick neural pathway as an adult, and that's going to take a lot more undoing than if I had just, you know, nipped it in the bud. So that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to raise awareness on his stemming, and I say, you can do that in your room. I try not to say stop it or don't. It's it's really much better to give him the choice, the power, the empowerment for him to realize, okay, um, why am I doing that? Self-awareness, mindfulness. Okay, maybe I'll go up in my room if I need to, or maybe I can wait until I do that. And And so as you look at these graphs here, you see that if if not intervened, then her the the graph here says that if food if sex, if cocaine, if meth is allowed to continue to um, grow unheated, then you're gonna have to you're gonna need more and more and more of it so the stemming isn't going to go away naturally it's the other way around it's going to continue to grow because he's gonna need more of that chemical to hit the pleasure threshold and then we're just gonna get louder and longer and more consistent. okay so, and then you see the, the one there with the kid, the, the child with the brain on the side, that 90% of adult addicts began engaging in the high-risk, right, stemming behavior when they were teens or even younger, right? Because our kids stem at a much earlier age, which means then that the timeline to get that, that addictive kick and then, oh dear, addictive escalation of the stem, well, it's sooner than adults. So that's why we just have to intervene you have a little uh, graph there that shows myelin and uh, the, the dendrites. So the myelin sheathing that goes around all of those neuro, uh, the dendrites of all of our axons and neural path, um, neural dendrites, right? the neural pathways in our, in our whole all of the systems that we have in our body. The thicker that myelin sheathing is, the faster the data is going to flow. Um, and as it gets repaired, then the myelin sheathing will improve the conduction of and the traveling of either the chemical impulses, or the electrical impulses. Now, if our kids have had trauma or poor nutrition, lousy sleep, whatever it is that's, that's cut away at that myelin, then um, it will be even more erratic of behaviors um, uh, because the data is slipping out other places. So that's kind of why why the myelin is there. It's a study about myelin sheathing, methylation, myelination, demyelination, and remyelination. We'll talk about that some other day. Okay, let's go on to the next slide. So you see then it has an effect on executive functioning. Um, We're talking a lot more about executive functioning now than we did five and way more than 10 years ago. It's so key to our kids learning to uh, be independent to know where their homework to be, is to um, to not need constant prompting to fade those prompts to um, b- to grow it to being more age appropriate with um, growing up and uh, taking responsibility for their choices and their lives. In this day and age, as I'm recording this, we're doing way more homeschooling. In fact, that's all basically that there is anymore with the COVID-19. We used to be able to, you know, take our kids someplace, drop them off, pick them up, they go to school. It would be somebody else's job to monitor if they went to elementary, they go to high school, they go someplace else. But now there's none of that. So as all of us feel parents are trying to work with our kids. And yeah, there's some delivery of content, educational content, curricular LRE, but LRE is our living room on the computer. So least restrictive environment, there's no peer modeling, unless you're really lucky. And we're really lucky, but that's because we're, we're doing things to help people and it helps John. And so anytime I can add neurotypical peer modeling to our life, you betcha I'm going to do that. So Executive functioning, study more about that. I've done a couple of podcasts on it. There's, oh, it's it's really important. It's in your life. Maybe you've never heard of it. Um, you can see there some of the tasks that would typically be executive functioning. Um, if you're doing it great, awesome. If you're not, you're challenged. Some of them that would be in elementary there, right? Task initiation, flexible thinking, planning and prioritizing, organization, working memory, Oh, baby, working memory, self-monitoring. Monitoring being self-aware, mindfulness, self-regulating, and then selective attention. So joint attention, right? Paying attention to what's going on in the classroom, not getting distracted by all the digital things or the activity in the hallway or the kids whispering in the back of the room. And then coordination, and that could be physical coordination, um, trying to do calisthenics, uh, coordinating your time awareness, your tasks, getting your homework done on time, getting them into the backpack, getting them out of the backpack. Uh, then they have a list of high school uh, executive functioning um, wins, right? Abstract cons- and then conceptual understanding. So not concrete anymore, but the abstract. And as our kids get older, you know, it's not always the clock on the wall and a timer, time timer where you can see the minutes disappear. It's the idea that five minutes, I, my head needs to tell me I need to be someplace else. Impulse control. Oh, dear God. Impulse control. Problem solving. Um, Don't just yell, help! But, you know, I'll stall sometimes. No, I'll stall all the time. When John yelps for help, I'll just, yeah, sure, right, I'm coming. Because I try to just watch my mouth. And if I hear myself saying the same thing over and over, it's like, Gail, shut up. Because he's... He's riding high on that elixir of mom's going to interact and we're going to be back and forth, back and forth where I want him to take the energy that he does have and think about the problem, not try to escape it, not yelp for me to come and save him. So I just am very slow to the rescue, super slow to the rescue. And I tell him no specifically on purpose Because he needs to know what that's like, what that feels like, how to control himself. Because there's going to be lots of that kind of a thing in his adult life. And he needs to be okay with it. And if he throws a hissy, I tell him, stop, we're not doing that. So I'm actually very, I've been trained to be very tough. Um, You would not want your, (laughs) you would not want me, your kids would not want me as their stepmom, I'm telling you. Okay, so decision making, back to the list. Judgment, emotional regulation. Oh, yep. And that's about the time we're hitting puberty right? Uh, frustration, tolerance, um, And then I'm adding zero tolerance to escalation to physical escalation. Um, violent behaviors. Uh, I, I, I read articles about people who are caught up in that, where the family becomes a prisoner. And I've actually seen it long, long time ago. I would see where my kid would lash out and and hit his older sibling. And at the time, Saxton was, you know, wasn't going to hit back. And so we had to really go into high mode to, to change that. And we have changed it, and that's awesome. The dog still catches a little bit, and then John will do his best to me. And then that means I have to watch my response, and I need to step away and... I'm pretty good at that if I can. Except today I had a total failure. Okay, I've already told you about that. Uh, So ability to feel empathy. All right, so we're working on our kids for the neural pathways that they can realize somebody's crying, what does that mean? And that they do not make the wrong, um, emotionally um, immature reaction of laughing because they don't know what else to do because they're embarrassed. That instead they can... You know, and I have seen him do this to me. Sometimes I'm I'm sitting on the couch and I'm crying because he'll come over and he'll do something to that's, uh, that's appropriate, age appropriate for empathy, and that's awesome. We want our kids to be able to feel and then take appropriate action to feel and show and demonstrate empathy for other people. All right. So then you see a list uh, a list in the turquoise. There are choices of high risk behaviors, of um, so that would build um, the the addiction. Um, needing more needing more needing more which you can look at those if you want and maybe our kids get engaged in those things but specifically i want you to think about stemming whatever it is that your kid does to stem and if you want to say or you've heard people say oh just let him do it he's not hurting anybody that's not true he she they they're hurting themselves in the long run and you're letting them do it don't do that have some appropriate way to let them realize what they're doing why are they doing it then we can use their mind their self-empowerment their sense of responsibility their motivation their introspection, their choice of mindfulness and let them stop that and then redirect themselves towards something that's more age-appropriate or go to your room and when i'm in workshops this is the classic example <laughs> you name it and then you put a boundary on it right and i say john That's called playing with yourself. You can do that in your room. And I don't get all freaked out about it, you know. I just say, John, that's called playing with yourself. Those are your privates. You can do that in privacy in your room. Nobody wants to see that. Okay. And then almost everybody laughs embarrassedly. And if there's any gentleman in the room, I say, sorry, guys, my apology. And uh, then, so that's one of my key examples of that uh, for a, a silly redirection. But it's true. It's valid. It works because we want them to be aware of what they're doing and then why they're doing it and where they're doing it okay because you really don't want to be redirecting your kid forever do you don't you want them to be able to just go out on the with friends and have a quasi kind of normal life wouldn't you love that okay so the next slide has some uh, a the references for her article, her research, and then where she used to be, but just take her name and Google her or find her some other way because she's not at that location anymore. She's got her own practice. All right, so I know we've gone kind of long here, but we're back to um, a gentle reminder, if I could. Um, Someday I'll I'll tell you what that heart with the line down the middle means. That's actually been an an evolved concept of, of, I'm not going to do it right now, um, we'll do that another time, maybe next time. But to be aware that if we want to change our children's behavior, like I did today, on reflection, and the better, sooner, faster I reflect, I self-reflect, be aware of what I'm saying, doing, well, how does my face look? I mean, am I startin', starting a war because I got the wrong kind of face? You know, they say that bitching, re, uh, bitching rest face resting bitch face yeah resting bitch face um, or do I have a smile on my face which then leads to their being relaxed and th- because they don't feel like I'm being judged or I'm upset so remember, um, uh, communication is 80% body language, which means they're reading my expressions. It's not words I'm saying. And if our kids are challenged with auditory processing, if they're challenged with expressive language, and if, they are, if their vocabulary is not up to the words that we're using, that 80% how they see, feel, get the temperature of our behavior, our body language, what's on our face, that 80% is probably going to be even higher than that. We also wanna offer them the opportunity to take some risks. I'm huge on this. Like today, John went off with a friend who's staying with us and uh, they did not wear helmets. They chose not to. And I'm not sure he wore shoes. And uh, they just took off and I let him. And they were joyful and they went on a great adventure, came back because of the rain, they were fine. They've been doing this every day. It's the major outlet for them. Whatever it is that your child chooses and you're okay with backward chaining so that they don't die, (laughs) I tell them no blood, no broken bones, but offer them and and even talk about it ahead of time so they don't think they're pulling something over on you, but giving them them the, the dignity, the opportunity, you're trusting them, you're saying, okay, you go take an adventure and I'll be here when you get back, tell me about it later, go have a good time. Because that's what we would do with neurotypical kids, right? Unless we were hovercraft parents. And hopefully we're not, we're learning not to do that. Okay, because we would do, absolutely do want our kids or our friends, our colleagues, our partner, anybody that's, that that's a friend, anybody in our village, we do want them to feel heard and seen. So what we're just talking about here with child behavior, you could have that child as old as you want, right? And it could even be a neurotypical person. So you I think these concepts are universal. So if if someone feels trusted, feels heard, feels um, secure, then now we're building resilience, right? And resilience is a whole other topic. We're helping them find their purpose, which is another whole topic, giving them the opportunity to fail, to try again, to bounce back to feel their empowerment because they're taking responsibility for trying again they're taking responsibility for the failure and that means okay let me try again have the courage and the wisdom and the um um what is it let me have the courage to know the difference. no the courage to try to change the things i can the um the serenity to accept the things i cannot change and the wisdom to know the difference right okay so and there's some footnotes there for you So thank you for your time. Um, I always have a good, I enjoy these. And um, Mm. I appreciate your, I wish I could see your face, um, but I do appreciate your time. And uh, uh, peace be with you. Okay.